This episode is sponsored by Embark Dispensaries. With seven friendly California locations to serve you, head out to their newest shop in Redwood City to embark on your cannabis journey today. Greetings, champions. Welcome back to Smoking Bridges for episode two. We have Dan Adler-Golden from Node Labs here. Node Labs is one of the premier cannabis tissue culture laboratories on the planet. On top of all that, it is also a genetics hotbed. Some of the biggest name strains of the past few years have passed through their doors. They've started there. Their work with compound genetics is uh, some of the most popular stuff going in the game right now. And we are going to talk to Dan about what it was like to found the lab and what it's been like to ride the rocket over the past few years as uh, tissue culture is blowing up in the industry, as well as the genetics they've been working with. All right. It's Jimmy Devine. I am here with Node Labs founder, Dan Adler-Golden. Dan, pleasure to be here with you in San Francisco today. How you doing, bud? Good, bud. Thanks for having me, man. Super appreciate it. Uh... You put me on, and and uh, very exciting that this is a new format for you. Very exciting stuff. I uh, wildly excited. Uh, where you know you've been doing so much in the industry for so many years. Obviously, I saw I saw it when you first got out here, and we just doing the lab consultant back in the day. I don't even. What year was that? Shit, man! I moved out here in uh, February 2017. So 2017, you get out here, you start doing the consulting. Uh, end up a couple months after that, linking up with the Chalice Gang. Yeah, uh, man. Basically, I uh, I was working for some scientists who were setting up testing labs, and it wasn't as exciting as I was hoping for. So I gave uh, Mr. Douglas a call and said, hey, could you use my help on Chalice? He said, uh, fucking absolutely, get down here. And so uh, for a couple months, I was living in L.A., and this was still in 2017. Um, so in the, the final year of Chalice, it was just fucking on. And I uh, super appreciate Dougie putting me on like that, but it was uh, very exciting times. So obviously you made a lot of connections at Chalice. Absolutely. Uh, how much did that position kind of propel you to like in, in the to the formation of when you started getting the lab going? So when I was still at Chalice, um, you know, Chris Levitt, who um, is co-founder of Node, um, was a guy doing chief scientific officer these days, I believe. Yes, he is our CSO, um, really in charge of a. Uh, pheno hunting and uh, setting up the initial tissue culture program, which was fucking awesome that he can cover so much ground. Um, but he had been doing tissue culture for the state of California for endangered lilies and was like, man, I know you're doing some weed stuff, Dan. I don't know what opportunities they are for tissue culture, but sh- something about what I'm doing has got to fit in with weed. So when I was down at Chalice, I was able to go to some of the vendors um, like Moxie and all these folks, you know, that it was still the early days for them and say, hey, how important are genetics to you? Do you guys lose cuts? And I got a range of answers, but I was certainly in an environment where I could talk to these people firsthand and learn about um, how valuable these were to people of the community. And when the lab got going, I, I reached out to some people I stayed in touch with through Chalice to say, hey, we're doing tissue culture. If you got genetics that you need cleaned up and stored, so, um, and why don't you explain what that means? Cleaning up genetics, what does that m- even mean? Yeah, so basically uh, tissue culture is a broad set of techniques that you can use to manipulate plants in a laboratory environment. How we use it is to uh, take sick plants and bring them back to full health. Uh, it's kind of like surgery for plants where you're doing dissection. You're taking the newest piece of growth that doesn't have the uh, connective tissue, doesn't have the vascular system to inherit the sick traits from the uh, plant that it originated from. It's a process called meristem dissection. So every plant we have in the lab goes through meristem dissection. We then keep it safe and in test tubes so that we can verify, hey, this plant had fusarium on the way in, and now it's completely clean before it goes back out to you. That's sick. Uh, so when, you know, what, how much uh, our understanding of plant sicknesses and cannabis has kind of been intertwined with the development of the lab. Just, uh, it seems like in the few years you've been around, we've learned a lot more about the things that are getting plants sick. What are some of the uh, illnesses that cannabis plants are falling symptom to these days? Shit, man, we, we have to be testing for absolutely everything. Um, hoplatin virus was the first one that showed up, um, hoplatin viroid, technically, um, and Darkheart really pioneered some of the discovery around that. 
Um, so that's something that initially people um, learned to test for a couple of years ago, and that's part of the, you know, uh, the screening process of the lab for sure. There's like beet curly top virus, lettuce chlorosis virus, tobacco mosaic virus. And we've even seen plants where they, they're not acting right, but we throw everything at it. We do every virus panel, every disease testing, and it comes back negative. Um, but the plant is clearly not behaving in a happy way. So there's still more discovery to do. Um, but yeah, w- what we really want to make sure is that we're keeping clean copies of everything. Like literally it's 300, 350 different genetics at the lab. So when new viruses or new diseases make their way from other plants to cannabis, we still have copies of elite stock that are uh, able to, you know, continue to produce cannabis or be used in breeding sure. projects. And just to clar- and just to clarify, in addition to cleaning up other people's cannabis, these super fresh cuttings are what you use as the base st- uh, base stock when you work with these nurseries that put out your product. Absolutely. So the nurseries that we work with get plants directly from the lab. Um, we refer to those plants as Gen Zero plants, meaning they're they're not cut from clones. They are adequate for populating a mom room and, and cutting clones from. So that's what the nurseries get from us. Um, so it goes through something called our 3VA process, which means three rounds of virus testing, all negative, so that we can feel comfortable releasing it to these guys and knowing that it's a, it's a really high fidelity screening uh, to, to show that your plants are clean. So all the nurseries that we work with receive this Gen Zero material from us. Um, last year, the count was about 800,000 clones that went into the market through our nursery partners from our genetics. So it's it's pretty amazing that we can have that impact, you know, given the small space of the laboratory and um, really working with some partners to put cuts, the right cuts into hands of the guys who are really elite growers. How big is the network of growers uh, growing your product in California now for themselves or for you guys? So... Yeah, I mean, that's a really great great question. Um, you know, we have really focused on Northern California. So we have uh, Cultivated, which is a indoor nursery that sells to a lot of indoor guys. We have uh, people like Source up in Humboldt who sell to their own network of people with different considerations because they're a greenhouse. So they're selling to other greenhouse growers. Shit, man, just growing for us, it's about five or six for the compound brand. We're trying to keep it small and make sure that we're, we're giving everyone A-plus uh, support when it comes to getting used to the genetics. But we, shit, man, I think must touch. Now what's the, how, how do you guys balance, you know, we'll get into the compound stuff in a little bit. Sure. But how do you balance that commercial viability in the to the point where you don't have to provide too much support, but you want to have the newest new, that special stuff, you know? Yeah, unfortunately, or fortunately, we um, we screen things with, uh, when we flower them out, it's pretty basic how we treat them. Um, you know, we are running Athena with some additives. We are constantly cycling through new nutrient companies. So there's a few others, um, Cutting Edge, Advanced, King Solomon, and we will run through the gamut of all of these so that it's as plug and play as possible for the growers. If they, if, if we give them genetics and they have... Tr- uh, trouble growing it, like on the first, uh, the first round, it's a problem. So we provide the genetics. We provide grow notes around how much it stretches, flowering time, what the plant prefers. So it can be as, um, you know, as as quick as possible. People can ramp up commercial uh, commercial runs of it, and they can uh, avoid some of the rounds of testing that you might have to do initially. Let's go over what it looks like when uh, new genetics enter the rotation at the lab so let's use let's use the vice city seven as an example sure Sure. so why don't you tell why don't you explain the tale of the vice city Seven? oh man so the vice city seven is is uh it's got a pretty sweet story um we were at spanibus last year we were there with paradise seeds who is um distributing a compound in the international markets and these guys came up and um you know gave me some flower samples big fans of compound um they're grassalona and hidden group genetics on ig and I looked at all their gear and was like, yo, this is like fire. And like, you have some pretty legit cuts. So like, what's the deal? Um, they wound up giving me some seeds, which was awesome. Um, you know, these are, are some guys who are based out of Spain and are, are really putting in the work. Um, we, we popped a couple of the seeds, started hunting through it. And then about uh, five or six months later, I, I went to visit them again. 
and got to see a much larger range of their work, uh, not just the cuts that they had sourced, but the breeding that they had done. And I was like, oh, shit, you guys are really doing some really cool. And what does the scale of the work over there look like for folks who aren't familiar with the uh, the, the progress of cannabis on the Iberian Peninsula? So in the case of uh, Barcelona, there's like hundreds of coffee shops. And the coffee shops um, slash social clubs are where you sign up for a day pass or a month pass. It operates pretty much like a dispensary where they have flour, they have hash, they got bongs for you to use. It's like really fucking nice because essentially it's a consumption lounge where you can also buy product. The interesting piece about Spain is that the privacy laws are very, very tight. So technically what's happening is, is not legal. It's very similar to the Netherlands where the coffee shops are technically illegal, but there's certain laws that make them able to operate not just like a one or two here, but literally hundreds of them. Uh, so you have a lot of cultivators who are operating like six lights, like straight up six lights at one spot, six lights at another spot, six lights at another spot, and that's it. So you don't have large scale production. You really have a ton of craft growers and the quality really reflects that. Um, another guy out of uh, Spain is growing only Skittles and that's just his deal. And it's craft fucking Skittles. The, the work is really good, um, the, the quality's there, and because these are all small grows, people can pay a little bit more attention than you see in some of these other markets. So right now there's like, you know, thousands of growers supporting these hundreds of shops, really small batch. Um, so it, it's really cool to see that stuff up close. So you're in Spain, you get the seeds? In Spain, get the seeds, manage to get them back to the U.S. We start going... How many did you bring? Uh, you know, how few. big was a pheno hunt? I mean, let's put it that way. You don't have to say the whole deal. You don't have to get the whole, <clears throat> the, spill the whole beans, but like. Yeah, yeah. So generally with pheno hunting, we want to flower out 25 females per variety. Um, if there's zero hits in there, okay, this line is probably not worth digging into anymore. If we get a couple hits out of it, it's like, shit, man, we might want to spend more time on this line because there's some really awesome potential here. So we went through about 20, 25 of each of their, um, each of their varieties. And the, the Vice City, you seem like you have like four or five possibilities, right? Yeah, man. There's some uh, some really strong stuff. The Vice City is Gary Payton jealousy. Uh, the cuts that they have are fucking awesome. Um, the work is really good. So we, we went through a, a portion of their gear. <laughs> is uh, it weird to go to the other side of the world to get a Gary Payton, like, Fino, and like, bring it back <laughs> it to San is. Francisco? And then to, like, worry about bringing it back to California is, like, another <laughs> loop I did not expect to find myself in. Um but, you know, these guys are super appreciative and I am happy to continue to support them. And, you know, for us, it's like I'm always looking at obviously the big name breeders, but some of the small guys who are doing really good work. And for them, you know, it's like no sweat for us to be able to pop some seeds and to hunt through quality gear posted online. And they wound up um, being picked up by Supreme Seed Bank. So you can find Hidden Group Genetics on Supreme Seed Bank. And... Uh, yeah, man, they're just super excited um, and are pursuing some stuff on the legal side in Spain. Um, the EU and international stuff is it's popping very off. interesting. Germany's going crazy right now. We don't even know how it's going to play out. It's going to be crazy though. And you're one of the, you know honestly you're one of the, you're one of the guys that's probably going to be sending cuts that way. Uh, whatever mechanism it ends up being over the years, you know. Sure. Uh, what's that? What's that like to look at the you know after what you guys done in California? Like you said, eight hundred thousand cuts. Uh, via your nursery partners this year. What does the horizon look like for you with interstate and everything like that? Oh, man. Uh, interstate's going to be super interesting. Um, it really kind of depends how we want to slice it. Uh, I really like focusing on genetic development, pheno hunting, partnering with breeders, getting really good gear and establishing it in tissue culture, and then providing it to farms or nurseries who can then, you know, go to town with it. Um, we'll probably want some regional facilities when interstate commerce opens up. But, um, you know, I'm still not sure where those really big production areas are going to be. Uh, just came back from Oklahoma and Arkansas, and Oklahoma is going to be massive production. Just it's the, the water's cheap, the power's cheap, labor's cheap, um, and they're right in the central, they're right in the, the middle of the country. So they're going to be able to continue to export successfully. So in terms of like where do you pop up these facilities, 
not really sure what the play is right After, now. After, especially for you guys, you spent, you know, it's not hard to be a lab in San Francisco. San Francisco ain't a cheap place, period. It is not There's cheap. There's certainly other towns uh, that you could have selected, but how cool was it to be here in, like, the heart of tech and, you know, doing what you're doing? Yeah, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were, um, you know, able to move in under pre-existing operators. So our lab in Petaluma, previously it was a cultivation site uh, that was grandfathered in because of the pre-existing operator provision. Um, same thing with San Francisco. We were able to move in there because we partnered with people who had um, some of these pieces in place before us. Um, so it's been, it's been pretty wild to be able to put in like years of work and when stuff was just going legal, like we were already... Um, starting some of that work ahead of time. So it's been it's been pretty fucking rad despite, you know, the the high price point and some of the difficulties that the California market's going through right now. For sure. You know, node is uh very synonymous with compound these days. Why don't you go a little bit into how that came to be? Yeah, so um you know, back in 2019, 2018, 2019, um, we were starting to get the feet underneath us when it came to uh, how to do tissue culture in a repeatable way. Uh, at the time, we were sourcing a ton of cuts from Kevin Jodry, um, and so we started with about a dozen strains, just learning how to stabilize them, how to clean them up, how to get rid of all the bugs and all the pathogens. And I started to um, look at a, creating a more diverse offering. Um, you know, one of the challenges is we did not have flowering lights. So we it was up to the person bring, we had to trust the person bringing us the cut that it was valid. And we had no idea how it was going to perform. Um, I met with a few breeders as well, trying to get more stuff. Um, what ultimately happened one day is we were micro-propagating Sunset Sherbert. By the time we got ready to deliver a couple thousand, people were like, I don't want Sherb anymore. I want whatever is new. And so we had all these fucking plants that just went bad on the shelf. And that's where I was like, okay, I'm always going to be chasing what's hot. And tissue culture takes about six months. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when we get a cut is not when we can offer it to clients. So then it's like always this chasing whatever we're hearing about is hype and hoping by the time we can deliver it, it's still hype. Um, What's been the most, what cut over the years has been the one you like, oh, I'm glad that worked. Like, this has been the most helpful. <laughs> Fuck, man. White runts. Yeah. White runts is the one. It is the best performing plant at the lab. It's awesome in veg. The product is beautiful. It, like, lives up to the height, hype in terms of the plant's performance. Um, obviously, you know, when we did establish our relationship with Compound, um, you know, there was some stuff in the library that wound up being very useful, both for breeding stock as well as for offering clones to people. Um, but honestly, being able to get some runs cuts early in the game, um, you know, some of the nurseries we work with are still sold out of that cut. It, and it's been like north of a year and they just can't keep up with demand. Um, California seems to be really on this candy purple category. And that's really what's driving the buying decisions for all these cultivators. So, so you know, you, you know you need these new exotic genetics. Compound is one of the cutting-edge names of the moment, per se, back then. Uh, yeah, I saw that Compound was trending. Um, you know, some of these breeders that we worked with, came, like, were from the... They were coming down from Humboldt. They were coming from everywhere. And it's like, man, you might have the best OG in the world, but if I have to take on telling everyone about it, that's like an incredible amount of work. And now it's like convincing everyone that this plant is the best, um, which is really difficult. Uh, there's a lot of noise in there and the marketing efforts and some of this, um, getting this, getting the attention is like very, very difficult because uh, cannabis consumers really know what they want and are, are constantly craving new information around it. So, um, you know, around 2018, um, you know, we found Chris, who was certainly trending at the time. Um, you know, there was some, some stuff going on um, with Compound that he was open to moving down and joining the team. Uh, so he joined us at Node at 2018, and he uh, had moved down from Oregon. Um, and really the first project um, that we did as Compound, that as Node we did as Compound, was um, the Jet Fuel Gelato Volume 3 collection which produced La Bamba, it produced the Jokers. So at the Emerald Cup in 2019, we debuted that seed collection. Like, 
you know, figured that would be a good way to start working with Chris. Obviously, he came with some cuts, and that was very, very helpful as well. But it's like, cool, like, how, let's let's do a project together. Like, let's fucking go. And, uh, yeah, we were floored by the response at the Emerald Cup. We were busy for, like, the first five hours holding a line the whole time. And Compound, um, you know, at that point was like, holy shit, okay, this is really fucking special. Like, the combination of Node and Compound is is pretty wild and is going to help us stay ahead of the curve and help set what is popular or at least line up the marketing strategy and when we start talking about something with when it's actually available to the public. I know this is a challenge for a lot of companies who have, you know, uh, someone at the top who can popularize something quickly. They can post it and no one's ready for it. And by the time the plants are ready, it's on to the next. So being able to work with these breeders in conjunction so that we offer something when it's ready is like really that's that's the golden ticket for us what was it like when you first saw his cuts like you sitting down with him you know who he is with chris yeah i mean you know there was a couple times when he came to visit us in san francisco um but my my big challenge i was like fuck man okay we can bring chris down he can join the team awesome we don't have a flowering facility so like what are we going to do so then it kind of a couple things had to come together at once um, so at the same time as we were uh, figuring out how to get Compound on, on board with Node and figuring out how Chris can join the team, we also had to find a flowering facility because it's like what good is making seeds and what good is producing all these cuts if it's just like someone told me it's Purple Urkel, someone told me it's Girl Scout Cookie. So around the same time that Chris, uh, you know, that, that we started uh, doing the work for Compound and, and Chris joined us, um, we got a flowering facility as well um, and had to figure out, okay, we got a couple different rooms. What do we want to produce out of them? So for the first little while, we were doing some flowering and selling clones since we have converted entirely to testing. So we're doing like only seed popping. We do some with uh, partners as well, but for the real elite private stock and for the stuff we do with breeders, we keep that in-house. How many seeds do you guys pop in a year in-house in San Francisco now? In-house in San Francisco, shit, man, we're probably getting close to 2,000 a year. And then across your partners, 10? Uh, fuck, man. Then we're starting to look more like six or 7,000 a year. Um, obviously, not all those turn into winning phenos. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately... But the bigger that number is, the better a shot you have at finding those magical phenos. Absolutely. And we're also looking for some anomalies. Um, I'm also looking through old stock. This isn't just hype, you know runs on RS11 on lemon cherry gelato. We we do hunt through some of that gear. Oh yeah, that sounds fire. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, but there's like some old stock that personally I have enjoyed like finding the people who know a lot more than me, getting their recommendations and then ultimately like buying some seeds from these collectors who have like mountains of seeds and no way to pop who them. Who are some of your favorite OGs you've got the chance to just shoot the shit with? since you've been chasing down these crazy cuts over the years? I mean, obviously meeting the Strain Hunters guys and Aryan and those guys and getting to spend like a bunch of time with them has been really fucking rad. Um, getting to learn about Dio and then spend time with him and ultimately like provide cuts back to him feels fucking great. Uh, Tony Mendo, another person who's fucking wild, but he puts in the work like all the time and is uh, he's chasing down some amazing Terps over there. Um, there are a couple smaller guys like Full Moon Genetics who does really good work. Fountain City Genetics out of Missouri who does excellent fucking work. His baby shark crosses are fucking fire. I can't wait to bring some of that stuff to light here in the next couple months. But honestly, there's been a lot of conversations on the phone with guys out of New York and other parts of the country who have wild collections of the genetics they've been hoarding for years. And as a tissue culture lab, they'll hit us up and say, hey, I got this old stock. Can you revitalize it? Like, can you take a, st a stab at popping these old seeds and bring it back to life? And that stuff gets me super excited because the hype shit, there's a lot of people focused on. But all this old stock, it's like going to go bad. It's from the 60s, 70s, 80s. If it's not well maintained, you're going to try to pop it and it's just not going to go. So that's some of the stuff that is really exciting to me. And a lot of these guys... You know, they're not on Instagram. They're still operating under the old rules where, like, you don't talk about shit. You certainly don't share cuts. You're certainly not publicizing what you do. Um, but some of these guys are now What's the craziest gear you've seen from one of those guys? 
fuck, man. It's the lists that I look at are just like so overwhelming to to start to parse through, and we we need like hundreds of acres to go through it. Um, you know, I was able to look at um, a seed collection of snow high where it's all arranged by uh, geographic region. So you have the South American collection, you have the Middle East collection, you have the Asian collection, and then because people were doing uh, tours of duty, you know, people were were serving and collecting seeds along the way. And for me to look at a list that is organized by geography with all kinds of land race shit that is, you know, was wild cannabis at the time, you know, I I really want to start having more of an ability to sift through those collections before they start going south. What is the target? Probably some rare terpenes and some rare growth characteristics. It's not going to be purple gelato that finishes in nine weeks, but that's like not what you should be looking for in all that stuff. Yeah, what's the balance there? Because obviously you're like you, you know, like you said, white runs is your is your money maker. Uh, dessert weed pays the bills. But it you, certainly does. But you're lo- you're really looking for that those hyper exotics. How do you you know find a way to do both effectively, commercially viably? Yeah, I mean, the commercially viably we're all, always working on. It is a balance of like, cool, we're gonna pheno hunt. What do we do with all these phenos? Because it's like you can't test it and, and put it on market. Um, so that's always the ongoing challenge. Um, you know, I'm looking for stuff that's new. Um, and I'm also looking for stuff that gets me excited. And it's really just like a reaction. Like when I open a jar, do I want to smell it again? Do I want to go back and dig into it a little bit more? What was the first time you saw the real heat that like pushed that reaction out of you? Like <laughs> before you even got here? Cause you know, you're pretty connected in Massachusetts before you got here. What was the first time you saw like the real deal heat? I mean, the first time I had real... The first time I had real, do, real deal heat, I was at a fucking fish show. Someone hands me a joint. I smoke it, and I'm like, yo, what the fuck is that? Because I've, like, mid-concert, I'm like, yo, I got to talk to you. Like, what's good? Like, <laughs> uh, And it was some, some grapefruit. I'm not sure exactly what grapefruit it was, but at the time, you know. The haze. The grapefruit haze is going around I back mean, then. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it was definitely the flavor was unbelievable. And at, to that point, I had been smoking beasters my whole fucking life. With like an occasionally non-beaster getting into the mix. Essentially, for those who don't know what beasters is, in the Northeast, a lot of Canadian mid-grade warehouse weed would make it over the border, and it'd be nicer than the Mexican weed, and uh, it would be nicer than the New England-grown weed that wasn't dried enough. Uh, so the Canadians would dry it a little bit longer, so it looked nicer than the wet draw, uh in New England, and uh, you know, all over. It came down from Vancouver too, uh, but yeah, beasters was essentially a, a really essential middle tier can't middle tier cannabis between the uh the mexican brickweed that was coming from the southern border and the more elite closet grows you start to see and then people start getting into warehouses in 2010 and yeah it really wasn't until like late high school slash post high school that i started having consistent connects for high quality flour the sour was the thing that when i was selling weed on the east coast people would come back for every time and would be happy to pay whatever price and it was the loudest weed fucking ever um I, how I, much time do you spend just looking for a sour cut given your career now i as a side project am constantly looking for sour cuts how um, many have you gone through only like seven right now um there's a couple that i know are distinct but i always try to put them on a timeline like when was it created when was it popularized the sour that i saw back in the deer back in the day i have um, no doubt was not the original sour diesel because of when I started getting it in like 2006, 2007. Um, we have tracked down what is, you know, what I will describe as the first sour diesel. Um, uh, it's been very vetted, um, has to go 77 days. It's beautiful product. Um, and so, you know, that's a little side project of mine is collecting all these sours and trying to like identify each of them. Are they actually different? What happened along the way? Um, but the sour plug was really the reason that I was able to learn more about high quality cannabis and what it could be. The guys would show up with the Master Kush, they'd show up with the Williams Wonder, they showed up with some OGs, and everyone's like, nah, man, just fucking sour. Like, so, that's what we need. Sour is such an old school cut, it was so protected for so long. Did you ever uh, get pushback from growers that were just like, man, I'm gonna give these science guys my, my prize genetics? Yeah, so in the early days of starting Node, like when we first got out Especially here. Especially given you guys, and that was in the shadow of what happened with another company that was doing genetic profiles for people that ended up using everybody's data to try and build super strains. Yes, yes, so you, yes, guys yes. Were found, you guys were founded in the shadow of that. Yes. Uh, 
that company was certainly operating at the time and making life a little bit more difficult for us, to say the least. Um, but in the early days when we showed up and we're starting to get this tissue culture lab going, I was literally going to the dispensary and buying cuts and finding dudes on Instagram to buy, you know, like teens or moms or whatever we could to have initiation material. Because I, I didn't know people here. I was not particularly plugged in. And... You know, this is 27, 2018, where, like, the ground is just starting to shift underneath people, and they don't know where it's going to land. So people were being very protective of what genetic material that they had. So in the early days, sourcing stuff was very difficult. There were a couple people who wanted to get work done with us early. So, like, the blood, uh, the Bloodhound and a couple other things from Karma that came... Um, from Calix. that was some of the first work that we did... Um, Tony from uh, the San Fernando Valley brought us his OG he's had since 95 to do some work on. So, you know, after we started having some success and after we were here for a little bit longer, there was a willingness for people to give us cuts. But definitely there were some actors in the space who were making this very difficult. How much? So obviously it's a double-edged sword. Obviously it's a double-edged sword. Like you don't want the community to, to deal with pressure and uh, you don't want the community uh, to deal with bad stuff. But you know, the knowledge around diseases picked up a lot since you found it. How, as a business, it oh, must absolutely. be helpful to have more people that need to clean their stuff up. Yeah, I mean, I remember having a meeting in 2017 where someone was like, does tissue culture for cannabis even work? Like, as a concept, is this even going to work? And I was like, fuck, man, this sucks. <laughs> like, I'm, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure it's going to work. Like, every banana is from tissue culture. Like, there's, there's a lot of standard agricultural products that are produced from tissue culture, and that's, like, required because you can't take risks with the stock getting sick. Um now we, we turn down a lot of cleaning gigs because the reality of the situation is it takes six months. Is this something that you're going to want to get back in six months, then ramp up your moms and then continue to grow? So in a year, are you going to want to be delivering this product to market? So um, a lot there, there's a lot more material than we can handle right now. And so sifting through um, what has potential in the commercial market, what has potential in the long term, uh, you know, just creating genetic diversity, that's a critical component, but um, there's a lot of breeders with a lot of awesome stuff that unfortunately we just don't have the bandwidth to work with. And, um, you know, I think backing some of this stuff up as seeds is critical. Maintaining as much as we can in the library is awesome, but really 300 or 350 varieties is kind of where we tap out. So we're constantly shedding stuff. And that's just, you know, as a, as a group, we sit down and go over each individual strain as a committee and people get to log their votes about, you know, why we think we should be hanging on to certain stuff. Um, so we, we do have a lot of stock that we never release, that we're just not putting out to anybody in the world, but we're just maintaining because we think there's potential in the future of that lineage or of what that plant can offer. Besides the fact that you guys always made sure the plants were super clean by the time they got to the consumer, why do you think... Uh, you've done better navigating this difficult moment in cannabis than so many nurseries that uh, didn't make it. Um, I got to give Chalice the credit, man. I know that this is like something that I, I, you know, don't have to go back to now considering what we've done with Node and with mm -hmm. Compound. Um, but I really got a sense for the community and how important it was and how you like you don't fuck with people's genetics. And from day one, we've been like, hey, here's the paperwork. It actually says that these are your genetics. We're providing a service. We don't have rights to breeding. We don't have rights for any other aspect other than providing this service to people. And so I think that, you know, coming from a place of knowing how valuable this is for people and knowing this is what people really, really, really care about. And it's like not a single generation of work, like generations of work have gone into this stuff. We need to handle it super respectfully. And when I look at, you know, Skittles, compound genetics, like they're not going anywhere. They're, they're going to continue to be a part of this community and part of the fabric. And I really want to work within that. Like I'm totally here to reinforce that these are the fucking ill dudes who have been putting in the work. And if there's more people that I'm not aware of, like I'm, I'm still down to be taught about some of these formative guys from the um, 70s and 80s who put in a lot of work and have you know, potentially stock that could be foundational. But, you know, I think um, 
some of the people working in the space don't come from the community. They haven't seen it up close. So it's kind of easier for them to be detached. And that's always been very important to me is to respect these guys' wishes and to be very upfront about, um, you know, paperwork. That's something that we need to get done. And it really is about protecting them um, as well as protecting us. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, just, just knowing that from day one, I think, has put us in a different position to navigate these conversations. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have to put in a couple years of just building the trust before people feel comfortable giving you cuts. And that's okay. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be doing this for a very, It's easy very to say time. that on year four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm glad we got to this place where people are now like, yo, I got this cut. It's going south. I got a buddy who had a, a, a Larry S1 that he refers to as his genius OG that he called me with like a plant emergency one night and was like, yo, this thing's going south. Like, dude, if there's anything you can do. He brought it over and it was like the sickest looking like six little like shoot plant that was pre-flowering. And I was like, dude, I honestly don't know. Like, I, I'm not going to charge you. I'm not because, a miracle worker. Yeah, like, fuck, man. I'll give it to the guys at the lab, but I, I have no idea if this is going to even work. And we were able to save it, which is fucking rad. And so being able to... What was the strain? Well, the, the genius OG. Okay, uh, A Larry S1 from uh, Root Down Genetics. Alan's been doing good work for 25, 30 years, and he's too busy in the garden to be, like, doing the Instagram promotion stuff. Um, and so... You know, when he hit me up and was like, yo, I got a plant emergency. It's like, cool, I'm on it. Like, send the ambulance. Like, no fucking problem. And having moments like that really helps to build trust. Um, you know, D um, I got Dio some cuts of the Y back when he was working that line because we had backed up the Y in tissue culture. Um, you know, uh, Tony Mendo of Skittles, he's, you know, I brought stuff to the lab and then brought him, him cuts back just free of charge just because we're developing the relationship. And so all that stuff really helps. And just like being around and having the endurance and, and not showing up and being like, yo, I'm the shit. These are my rules. Being like, yo, you guys know way more about this shit than me. Like, I'm happy to provide this as a service. But like, fuck, man, just as long as you can continue to keep putting in the work and bring in all these ill terps and, you know, I'm, I would love to be able to work with you guys. So it's, it's made it a lot easier. How much cannabis are you looking at on like a weekly basis? It's tough to say, man. It's tough <laughs> to say. This recent last month has been a shitload. Because it's but that's Croptober. That's it, a different yeah, animal. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, right, so is this like October, November, December, probably the heaviest, like, you know, looking period of the year? Absolutely. Uh, people have a lot of pheno hunt projects going on. I'm trying to walk through the field, and the fields are like acres and acres and acres. So I used to try to be like, okay, how much canopy have I seen? Like, how much pounds have I seen? And that's like, dude, I got no fucking clue. Like, not a chance. Like, <laughs> can you just fathom it? I mean, it's it's difficult because some of these guys are doing plots that are like a hundred plus acres, and it's all for fresh frozen, and they gotta harvest it in forty eight hours, and it's like some crazy shit. Um, <laughs> like three hundred people, they helping. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. And and they're driving innovation around. Okay, flash freezing. Like, how do we fucking do this? Um, so, man, it's really difficult to say, but, you know, I, maybe I've seen a thousand acres at this point. Um, I, I'm not really sure. But to me, uh, I, I used to look at it more for the scale kind of thing. And now there's there's different ways that I appreciate what goes into a grow. You don't have to have a spaceship to produce fucking fireweed. You have to be really paying attention to the details. Um, so I have gone to some facilities where I'm super impressed with the results given what they're using. And it's like, fuck man, what I'm not, I'm not the person to make recommendations. Don't change anything. You guys are going fucking fire, but like hand watering is difficult <laughs> when you have 1500 lights. Uh, so, you know, um, yeah, my appreciation for the energy that people put into their plants is continuing to develop. How crazy is it that, you know, for most of the 2010s, a lot of the good weed that came out of San Francisco uh, was associated with, you know, Jigga and Trubinsky. Yeah. Uh, at some point, it passed through their hands. And now you're in this point where, uh, you know, Node is kind of the place in SF where the heat passes through on its way to the wider industry. It must be fascinating to have kind of moved into that place. It's fucking nuts, man. But I'm always trying to show up to these meetings with these guys to like really to learn um, and like 
get the scoop on the history because you know I wasn't in the Bay Area in the 2000s. I'm still need to get my education about you know Champelli. I've I've gotten to know a little bit more and learned a bit about over the past five six months. Um, you know Mario, I'm getting to know a little bit more now, but still want to hear kind of like some of those formative stories. Um, so it's it's been I think a little bit easier because I I came from uh, the East Coast. I have to show up and learn. I don't know what's going on. I need to be taught, and I should be taught not just by one person, but I should be taught by ten different people around the same story. So I feel sometimes like a I'm on my own like little history. You know, I'm I'm, I'm aggregating my own history. We're doing weed archaeology. We're digging through and finding all the old stuff and seeing where it ties in with the new stuff. Um, and I think if I was from California, I might have been predisposed to, you know, certain alliances or certain groups. Um, but showing up and, and having like a really open book about what I should be, uh, you know, how I should be working with these people and learning from them, I, th- I think has paid dividends. What's it like, you know, obviously you, you're developing business within this community that means so much to you, like you said, and, um, and that's amazing. But also, you know, you're going all over the world these days. You're not just Node's founder, you're it's, it's business development director. What's it like uh, developing business on the hill, uh, the, you know, the traditional cannabis growing regions compared to, you know, Israel? Israel's very different. Um, I or anywhere. S- I'm just using that yeah, as a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Israel, I would say, has a cannabis culture and a cannabis appreciation that is very different from most international markets. They want lemon cherry gelato. They want runs. They see someone in California with some shit, and that was, that's what they want. Um, it's also domestic. Like, they have dispensaries. It doesn't get shipped internationally. So um, the flower does not need to be EU GMP. EU GMP is just a process that you need to go through to ship uh, cannabis internationally, which is having, happening an incredible amount. Unfortunately, most people can't um, deliver product that will pass testing, so it's all irradiated. So it's like 99% technically weed. Could California product pass? Some people, some people would be able to. It's just going to depend um, because the standards are very, very strict. So, um, what are the type of like? things that are like deal breakers for trying to pass it. It's just mold, man. Yeah. Dudes just can't control the environment. It's just so there. And, you know, um, the big, one of the big challenges in the international market is there isn't good talent. People are hiring from who used to work at Canopy. People are hiring from whoever used to work at a big Canadian public company. And those guys don't grow good weed. So one of the biggest things, one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, when you're hiring um, you know, a head of cultivation and there's like five people applying for the job who worked for companies that didn't do a good job, it, it's just going to affect the ultimate um, quality of product. Um, How do you as a guy that like spends his time in Northern California, you know, walk into this place and hear this bullshit of telling you how he's going to, what he's going to do to like, you know, grow fire. I mean, you're in reality, you're like, oh, I don't know. I mean, sometimes you just have to be like, cool, that's, you know, that's, I'm going to go on talking to the next person. One dude was like, we don't need dehumidification. And I'm like, okay, cool, man. I'm not going to enter this argument with you. (laughs) You know, like totally, you don't need it. No worries. Um, But fortunately, the people that were, you know, that that were working with internationally, they know they're not hitting the bar. They've come to the U.S. They've been to grows. They've seen the quality of cannabis that can be achieved. So they're like, yo, what can we do? to do what you guys are. Well, who's the, when you walk out of Node, and you know, obviously you got your farms that are a little bit closer to the heart with like Uma and stuff like that, that grow fire. But when you leave Node, who the, who are the farms that shock you on quality? It just like, you look at it every time, you're just like, wow. Fuck, man. I mean, Cam obviously does really good work. My buddy, um, Jordan Aguilar um, of, of Blueprint, he does a really good job. Uma does a really good job. Um, you know, I guess it's less so, for me, it's it's quality based on your environment. So I have seen greenhouses that produce fucking heat for a greenhouse. I've seen outdoor, where this outdoor is fire for outdoor. Is it ever going to be indoor? No. Um, so for me, understanding some of the limitations has given me a greater appreciation for product that you can produce in different environments. So it's really tough to say, like, Who's going to make it to the other side? I know everyone is is struggling right now, and the industry has taken a lot of lumps in the last year. 
Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if some of these people are not operating or just deciding like, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to be a part of this anymore. This is, this is fucked. Um, and there are some guys on like the trap side who do excellent fucking work who are pheno hunting and doing all the R&D. Um, but then the question becomes if, like, a legal operator didn't face the same bottlenecks, uh, if they didn't have the bottlenecks that the trap grower doesn't have, would their product be equally good if it wasn't, like, having to deal with metric? Um, I think metric is one of the one of the challenges. I think taxes are another huge, really big huge. challenge. Um, there's just a lot of shit you got to pay for that makes your cost of production go up on the uh, regulated side, we're on the trap side, it can pass few very it can pass through very few hands before it goes to a customer. We're just, you know, with the regulations going from cultivator to, you know, packager to distro to retail, it's like it just is touching more hands and taking longer. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why trap weed is better than regulated weed is it gets to the customer faster. It there's just not these same issues with freshness because you know, you grow it's it. Fresh. It, it's fucking fresh. <laughs> and it's as fresh as can be, and it's fucking fire, and it's going in the branded bag and all that stuff. Where in the uh, regulated market in California, there's just a lot more steps to go through. So a customer is just getting a product that is older and and has been, um, you know, more touch points than uh, you know what you can get from the trap scene. One thing you mentioned uh, was, you know, talking about things being grown in different environments. And I don't think we really touched on this yet, but a big part of what you guys do at Node is the actual stress testing of all this stuff Correct. you're going through. What does that look like? Yeah, so um, we're popping a lot more seeds these days than anything else. And so whenever we're delivering a new variety to market, we want to make sure it's as stable as possible. It's going to have very, very successful results for these cultivators who are, who are grabbing cuts and grabbing genetics from us. So the first thing we do is we put it into a room um, that is like fine. It is not a spaceship. You know, it's going to have uh, temperature spikes. It's not going to be a super dialed in environment. So if the plant's going to herm out, it's going to herm out. Like we're, we're not we're not coddling it. Um, and the way that we see it, if someone has an issue in one of their rooms because the AC breaks or something and their whole room herms, that's a huge fucking problem. So we start out with a stressful environment and weed out a lot of stuff. From there, we'll then put that into less stressful environments where we're now trying to draw out um, you know, the best characteristics of the plant, seeing we can get yield, color, all that stuff. Um, obviously, the profile is you know, something that is gonna make you wanna go back into that jar and smell it again. So um, when we first when we do our first pass of selecting phenos, we're not looking at THC. We're not looking at yield. Just when I open the jar, do I want to smell it again? Do I want to break it up? Do I want to like fucking shove it up my nose because it's so fucking cool and awesome? And then the next step is the um, the smoke test, obviously. And after that, we kind of narrow it down. We're like, of these, you know, which ones are commercially what encapsulates viable? What encapsulates the smoke test? Shit, man. For me, it's a joint. That's kind of like the move where the flavor is going to come through. Smoking a couple blunts with you is obviously, you know, part a of part of the second. course. A close second. A close second. Absolutely. <laughs> but for me, the joint is really uh, where I can capture that flavor. And it's like if it tastes good on the way in and it tastes good or different on the way out, fuck yeah, that's what I want. Because it's like um, I found the best weed is going to hit both of those. It's not just going to taste good on the inhale. It's also going to taste awesome and maybe even a little, it like should be lip smacking. You know, you should be like, that's fucking delicious. Like put that in a candle and light in my room. I want the smell around me all the time. Well, you, you have a few jars in front of you at the moment. Why don't we dive in a little sure. bit? What are we working with, Champion? So we got uh, a couple things. We have Oh, I know this, what that one is. This okay. is the SFV X Jokers number 29. Um, so this is some private stock. Um, we recently did some testing. Um, you know, we've seen kind of an OG, not resurgence, but people having more demand for the OG. The green the, weed's coming back, guys. Green, Don't forget. It is absolutely happening. And uh, so we, we went on uh, a little bit of a hunt through some old stock as well as developing some genetics to find an OG that is more commercially viable. I don't know what happened to the OGs. I've done a lot of digging. You know, I'm not, I can't really pinpoint where they all went or why this profile kind of disappeared. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people just lean on TK as like the best cut now. And it just, uh, but there was like stuff before it that was cool too, you know? 
Yeah, man. I mean, I'm very nostalgic around the Paris OG and the hardcore OG from uh, Russian Assassin Boys and then from West Coast Cure mm -hmm. because back in the day, you'd fucking want to go and buy one of the millionaire jars or billionaire jars of the BHO that was just the most was, like, fire the worst, fucking product. Like, the first like juicy BHO ever. It was all shatter and then the hardcore OG baller jars dropped and it was just this sloppy looking awesomeness. Dude, it was fucking tasty. And so you'd try to fly to California and like sneak one back in your luggage because then you got like half ounce or an ounce of oil and you're good for like a while. <laughs> um, so the OGs, you know, I've, I've personally been spending some time just trying to find like what happened to the OGs, how can we make a more commercially viable OG so that it can also be, it can work on the bulk side. And with this SFV by Jokers um, has some potential. The line definitely has potential. So I am really excited about this Fino in particular, but in general, I saw good enough results from it that, um, you know, I, I want to dive in further. It's definitely piqued my curiosity. Absolutely. So that's one that I'm a you know I'm I'm a, a big fan of. And it also like again on the exhale tastes super solid. Um, brought some of that to Champelli and Sebastian of Delta Boys, and they were fucking stoked. So I'm very excited to get uh, some feedback from people who have been in California and have more experience with OGs than myself. Um, Jar number two right here, we brought some rose gold runts. So this is uh, white runts x apples and bananas. I was a believer um, in this one year. As soon as I saw the drop, I like put it in LA Weekly in like April of 2021. I was like, I know, this man. is the one. This calling is the him, one. Calling them for us. So this was found by Fino Hunters, which is uh, out of Michigan. They've been really fucking awesome. Um, you know, we do have a network of people who hunt on our behalf. And, um, you know, again, stuff that's available to the public. That's, you know, we're happy to send that out and partner with these folks, the private stock stuff we keep in house. Uh, but Finu Hunters is out of Michigan. They've been doing excellent work for Compound for years and uh, bringing us this one was really sweet. Yeah, that's a heater. That's a heater. The last jar we have um, is a mystery flower number one. This is uh, a, a breeding project that, um, you know, we're doing for Wiz and his team, the, the Khalifa team. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like on the DL, on the lineage for right now, there's a couple of Finos we want to show them, but this is the latest batch. And it's definitely like very uh, awesome that we can do this breeding, do some taste sessions with these guys. Yeah, I was like, what's it like to, uh, with all, you know, you've had a lot of taste tests with rappers over the last few years. What's it like working with all these folks trying to dabble in the game? And at least, and it's cool though, at least that they're like actually hunting for heat and not just trying to throw their name on some, on some random white label pounds. <clears throat> yeah, man, I will say Chains is the one um, that I was most impressed by. We did a whole session with him. We had all the fucking jars out. This dude brought his own weed in case our shit sucked. I was like, bro, let me hit your blunt. What the fuck are you smoking on? And uh, so, you know, I... I what was I, it? Some OG. It was some good. OG from that he's had in Atlanta for fucking years. You know, it was fucking great. It was awesome. Uh, you know, like, what can I say? And so then uh, it's like, okay, what are you looking for? And he's like, yo, those OGs. And it's like, cool. Like, tell me more. Like, wh what OGs do you love the most? And he's like, King Louis circa 2017. All right. So it's wow. Like, All right. Cool. Cool. Like, yeah, that's, that's specific. Very, very specific. You know, we'll see if we can get some King Louis. We can see if we can work that line a little bit. But the, the Sherbins, just uh, side note, the Sherbinsky uh, King Louis work, the 41 King Louis is fire. I saw that earlier no this shit. year. Yeah, that is fire. I haven't come across that one. Yeah, it's brand new. Back to two chains, though. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's talking about supply chain and like, you know, the weed's never ready when I need it to be ready and all the same struggles. So um, it was really fucking cool to chop it up with him. I'm looking forward to getting more time and, and um, he really wants to look in the jars. He really wants to learn along the way, which is fucking cool. Like going through the pheno hunts, uh, you know, all these guys go to the tissue culture lab and they're like, yo, what the fuck is going on in here? What are, um, the, what are the strains that have surprised you the most over the years? Um, the strains that have surprised me the most. Um, there's some cuts that we have that people fucking love that are low THC. And, you know, that's it's weird because sometimes you guys have like I've had heaters from compound it was like 18% but just like people and it was so crazy terps yep and how and I don't you know how much of that THC percentage is people just not even understanding there's only so much room in 100% like yeah I mean <laughs> um, you have all this other dope stuff there's going to be less THC yeah and, and it's not about THC it's it's a combination of 
THC, terps, flavonoids, esters. There's like new sulfur compounds that we're discovering that um, aromatically are like very, very, they're contributing to the sensory experience a ton. So for example, um, like when it comes down to the weight of these things, they can be like a hundred times more aromatic than terpenes. So you can have a hundred times less and it'll show up in when you smell it to the same degree. And there's only like four or five people testing for flavonoids and esters. And esters are the, that's like the, that's the gas, like the gas smell isn't actually a terpene. That's an ester, we're, right? We're figuring it out. We're, we're still, it seems as though it's not the terpenes because you can have uh, stuff that tests with the same terpenes with wildly different smells. And then the banana smell is, uh, God, I, someone was telling me this the other day, that's like, uh, that's not a terpene either. It's something else. I was like, oh, wow, okay, cool. Yeah, man, there, there's so much discovery to do. And one of the challenges is that these labs only have limited bandwidth for R&D. When testing for esters costs $250,000 piece of equipment, and they're going to run 10 tests a year because most people don't give a shit, it's very hard for them to like invest in that and offer that. Um, but there are a couple people doing this work. Um, it's pretty fucking wild that it's getting to this point, but there's so much that we don't know. Uh, and what I can tell you is uh, we smoked a blunt of that sour that I brought back mm -hmm. and I got fucking lit. That's 17% weed. Mm -hmm. There's this kush that... Um, it was like my third favorite thing that day. Yeah, There's man. a couple other heaters that day, but it was yeah, nice. It's a classic, you know, for sure. But then there's also this um, this Kush that I, I brought Tony that he, like, freaked out about and had some, like, he was like, I was up for two days thinking about that weed. Like, the what Hindu? the fuck? Uh, it's, it, we're, we're not sure what it is. It was came it came to us with a label that I don't believe. I'm not sure. But to him, he's like, yo, this is Hindu Kush. It's like, all right, cool. It tested at 14%. But dudes fucking love it. And one of the things that we found most recently is that um, it's this THC to terpene ratio is the best guiding light that we have right now. You want the lowest possible um, terpene to THC ratio. A 10 to 1, meaning 10% THC, 1% terpene. 20% THC, 2% terpene. That balance is really what um, people gravitate towards in the jars and among what they want to buy the most. So while... THC is part of it, terpenes are part of it. That balance is really where we're seeing the consumers respond, um, like in a really awesome way. And it's great to have certain labs who are taking on this work. How does the consumer not really being able to look at the weed impact the work? Since like, you know, if you could just find all these crazy things that smell crazy and they just win them over when they pop the jar, but then all these other factors arrive. And how, you know, and how crazy it's, you know, and then, you, but every now and then you get a strain like Skittles that can, even though it's an ugly <laughs> yeah, one, you know yeah, what I'm saying? It can, it can beat, it beats the curve. Like people still want to smoke, smoke it as much as possible. Yeah, man. Skittles beats all odds. I don't know how <laughs> they fucking got it done. Um, it wasn't until I was at Tony's place and he had a bag of Z that I was like, yo, I actually know what Z is because I've seen Z from all yeah. different people. And, and then you go to the same. mountaintop and you're like, wow. Yeah. And like, this is it. And it's like, yo, this is fucking fire. I smell it. it. Was I want to smell it again. Uh, it wasn't ins. Yeah. It was depth. Yeah. And it was fucking heat. And it's like, you want to just keep putting your face in the bag and just like get, you just want to get it into you, which is fucking Yeah. And awesome. maybe it doesn't get you as high as the craziest gas. But it's so it tastes so good and it's such a pleasant thing. Like you know, you can smoke Skittles. You can smoke Skittles all day. Like, and that's Absolutely. one. Of, I think that's one of the things people really like about it is because it's just so functional, but like joyous. You know? Yeah, it's really tough. and the flavor, obviously. Like, yeah, God. the flavor is unreal, and it's really tough for me to say, okay, this is exactly why Z rises above the rest and can be green and like a really difficult plant to cultivate and a really difficult plant to work with in veg. And it's just like a challenging plant. Um, but for some reason, it just has that profile that people respond to. It's obviously incredible. When was the first time you saw the Z? The real Z was at Tony's house like two years ago. Okay. Up until that point, I had seen Z, but it, I didn't know if it was verified at all. Um, I lucked out. I got a jar from Brandon at Chalice in, 20, no in 2017. I went up to him and, I, and uh, I ended up doing the Rosé story that year. So I was, I walked up to him and asked if I could write that and uh, ended up coming on the fall. But yeah, he's like, oh, let me load you up. So he gave me some Rosé and a bunch of the old third gen family orange Skittle jars. I was like, oh man, this is, this is it. I get it now. <laughs> yeah, man, that shit's fucking fire. And it's really, um, it's super distinct. 
And that's where I, I don't know how many people have seen Real Z. I know that. You know, and I was saying this to Shabinsky last night. Isn't it wild how much of the like vi- commercially viable cannabis marketplace passed either through uh, gas station Bob's hands, who a lot of people yeah. put put the Z, who say was the guy who gave the Z to the other guys. Beyond whatever else happened after that, a lot of people point to gas station Bob as the guy who gave the Z out first to, to a couple of people, and then um, like we said earlier, Shabinsky and Jai, uh, the excuse me, Jiga, like how, like sixty percent of the marketplace right now went through one of those three hands. It seems like. Yeah, man, it's pretty wild how foundational some of these people were and how foundational these cuts have been. Um, you know, I think about it in terms of like 10-year time periods and how quickly things are moving, where during the 70s there was certain genetic development, during the 80s there was their own period, during the 90s, um, and a lot of this stuff was driven by like, you know, back in the 70s you could grow weed out in your yard, no fucking problem. In the 80s you had to go indoor because of the war on drugs. In the 90s there was shit showing up on its own that could stand in California when you start seeing sour and OGs. In the 2000s, it really started to move away from the the really phenomenal work happening just in Amsterdam, and that was happening in the U.S. as well. And over the last 10 years especially, it's an incredibly accelerated rate where, um, you know, simply because people can talk about their collections and, like, can talk on the phone, I have these seeds, I'm growing this weed, which fucking, you know, you didn't want to do in the 2000s. Um, there is a lot more collaboration. There is a lot more people sharing uh, these different collections that they didn't talk about. So I'm really, um, I, I stay optimistic for the genetic diversity of cannabis. It's just not all gonna be at the dispensary. And there's gonna be a lot of people <laughs> growing. I mean, you know, that's the fucking deal is like, if it's heat, it's heat. And you don't need to get three, four pounds of light. You can have your six lights in Spain or your six lights in Oakland and get one and a half off fucking fire. And your customers are going to I know a dude with eight lights in the bay, and he's living good. Well, you know, he grows fire. He does it well. It's super elite. It's better than most 99% of things you'll find on dispensary shelves, and he is living. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I hope that there's, like, a better path for people like that in the future. When I first got here in 2017, I remember going out to um, a dispensary out in Oakland that had a farmer's market in the yard. Uh, in like the parking lot, and, and, and they robbed everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, they stayed. They stayed. Uh, they stayed okay. But I remember seeing some fucking cut by this guy who was like Sparkle Shoes or Twinkle Toes, or whatever the fuck his name was. Oh no, I meant the dispensary. Literally, literally robbed everybody. Oh, yeah, not the yeah, people yeah. at the farmers market. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Even twice in a day sometimes. Oh it's god, brutal. Um, so I, I hope that there's more formats like that that can open up like pretty quickly. Um, and again, like, you know, there's some comparisons you can make to other industries, but it's not going to be exactly like tobacco. It's not going to be exactly like alcohol. It's going to have its own shape. Um, but the farmer's market and being able to buy direct from the farmer is something that I really want to continue to be able to do, um, you know, in part so these people can continue to do what they've always loved. But also it's just a cultural thing and you're going to have that genetic diversity and, you know, it's something that I really hope can stick here pretty soon. What is next for Node Labs? What is next for Node? You know, um, really what I want to open up is more bandwidth to do some testing of this stuff that is not immediately commercially viable. Um, We are doing some international stuff, which is super cool, and working with people in different markets, which is awesome. Um, And again, if if they think that what they're doing is perfect and no changes need to be made, that's probably not the best. This is a constant evolution. Like shit is getting better every year. You kind of have to be prepared to, um, you know, adopt to whatever the best practices are that are being discovered. Um, but really having more bandwidth for some of this R&D where we're looking for rare terpenes and we're looking for rare cannabinoids and interesting profiles. Um, I'm very excited about that stuff. The international stuff I'm also very, very interested in as well. Um, you know, we're working with a group in Thailand now that has their Thai land race stuff that is like, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce the names of it, but they got their own heirloom cannabis that's been cultivated that for there for years. So it's very exciting for me to get to look at these collections and, you know, hopefully be able to expand how much of our footprint we can put towards just interesting shit. Um, but, on, you know, the reality is that, like, we got to pay our bills. Um, we need stuff that's commercially viable. We can dedicate 5 maybe 10% of what we're doing to R&D. 
I hope to be able to do more R&D uh, in the future with that. Um, but it's still, you know, it's still very early in the genetic space. Um, you know, we'll be definitely figuring this stuff out along the way. Very well. I super appreciate you, bud. Uh, where can people find you? Fuck, man. You can find me on uh, Instagram, Node Labs. Um, that's that's the best way to do it. Um, you know, the if you want to circulate the private one, it's D Adler Gold. He's uh, great. That's Dan's the, very. Dan's a thought leader. Go give him a follow. Appreciate it, bud. Find out all the sweet stuff that's going on on in cannabis tissue culture, and we super appreciate you stopping by, bud. Thanks, Anybody man. Anybody want to give a shout out to on the way out? I mean, shit, man. All the breeders that I mentioned, Full Moon, Genetics, fucking Fountain City, um, you know, Hidden Group Genetics are fucking awesome, you know, and honestly, all, like, the guys who have put in the year's worth of work for us to get to this place, and I'm not going to know a lot of their names because they're not published, but I know that in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, a shitload of unnamed people put in the fucking work, and for us to be able to jump in and continue doing that work feels fucking awesome. Word. Well, super appreciate you, bud. Thanks, bud. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate you. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to episode two of Smoke and Mirrors. Uh, it was great to chat with Dan Adler-Golden of Node Labs uh, and hear the tale of one of the premier cannabis tissue culture labs on the planet. Of course, all the, the amazing strains that speak for themselves, a lot of famous cuts have made their way to the world from Node Labs in recent years, and it was cool to hear Dan's take on how that happens. Big ups to our homies over at the Cannabis Media Council, working very hard to, to point the compass in the right direction for the mainstream media when it comes to cannabis. God bless them. We appreciate their support, and uh, we, we are excited to share this episode with you. We're going to go hunt down some more cool stories, and we'll see you next time, okay? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Detai Gummies. I love this gummy. Uh, it's solventless and it tastes like a fruit market in Thailand. <laughs>